Hi everyone, welcome to Let's Talk About Skills Baby. I am your host, Kelly Bailey. So each week I get to chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful, how they develop those skills, and their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills help you live your best life. So this week we are joined by Elizabeth Liba, I'm going to give a little background on Elizabeth before we jump in, but thank you so much for joining us. Elizabeth was born in London, England. Um, fascinating. My husband is also from there. <laughs> um, and raised in sunny South Florida. Okay, I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> she is a published writer and has had several articles published in the Sun Centennial newspaper in Fort Lauderdale. She has also been published in the Seminole Tribune the official newspaper for the Seminole Tribe of Florida, where she served as the editor for several years. Elizabeth holds a Bachelor of Science from the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida, where she majored in journalism with a minor in education. She also holds a Master of Business Administration with a focus in global management from the University of Phoenix and pursued interdisciplinary inter <laughs> studies at Western New Mexico University. Over the past decade, Elizabeth has worked as an English professor, both face-to-face -face and online, for various public and private colleges and universities. And most recently, she has worked as an instructional designer for City College, where she develops and deploys online classes for almost a thousand students across seven campuses in Florida. Wow. Um, Elizabeth's newest adventure and where we met um, has been serving as a co-host on the successful higher ed, um, higher education podcast, The Ed Up Experience, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am just so thrilled, like that's just such an amazing list of accomplishments. So excited to have you here. Um, you. <laughs> and, and, wh and where are you now in Florida? Where are you located now? Currently, I am in West Palm Beach. It's not, it is actually kind of sunny, a little bit overcast, but I'm in sunny West Palm Beach, not too far from the beaches of West Palm. Oh, how nice. Um, my aunt and uncle and live there, so I've been there plenty of times. That's so funny. It's awesome. such a small world. <laughs> it is, definitely. So, um, Elizabeth, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit really quickly about, you know, what, how, you know, how I know we met when we, I was, you guys invited me to be on your podcast, which was wonderful. And as we were chatting on that podcast, I know you and I said, man, we could really talk forever, you know, yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. a lot in common. And one of the things that we started messaging back and forth about, you know, is really the reason why I invited you to join, um, on the podcast today so that we can continue this discussion. And so, um, for all of our listeners or viewers, however, you're, um, enjoying this episode today. Um, I asked Elizabeth to join today to talk a little bit more about how the COVID pandemic and George Floyd's murder has shined a light on issues that have been impacting so many people's lives in our world for many, many years. Like this is not new and we knew that. It was just these extreme moments in time that have shown us, wow, um, we should be paying attention. And so many people now are listening. And I really wanted to, and I asked you, you know, can we continue this conversation around this? Because people's ears and eyes are open right now. Um, and in particular, we were really talking about 
how the needs of, there are so many extremely vulnerable people um, that, you know, again, this is not new, <laughs> but everyone is really seeing what's happening because of these two major events that have happened this year. And how can we understand um, and incorporate, you know, their needs when we're really putting together all of these new initiatives, especially around hiring and learning, because so many people are on unemployment right now, um, into these solutions. Like, and we want to hear the voice of them. Um, so that's really what we're here to talk about today. And I know that seems like a pretty heavy issue, but I really appreciate you joining me today to, you know, keep shining the light where, you know, it has been. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, but there it doesn't change, doesn't start without talking about it. So that's definitely the first step in the process for sure. It is so true. So true. Well, before we get into the meat of our topic today, Elizabeth, I would love, you know, this, I, I love hearing about you and your all these amazing accomplishments, but what I would love to also maybe shine a light on um, is your your journey like what tell us a little bit more about your story you know how you kind of went through came to today i would love to just hear a little bit more about you yeah sure i mean my story is one that i guess has a really winding path i didn't start out wanting to work in really i i have friends or other people that work in higher ed that they were like i always wanted to be a teacher i didn't really have that in mind initially um, I grew up in London. Mm -hmm. um, I'm from the United Kingdom. My parents are Jamaican. They're immigrants who, um, if you know anything about London, it's a very like very cosmopolitan, very modern hustle and bustle city. And a lot of the residents there, uh, the, the black residents, residents of color are, are immigrants. It's really um, immigrants from all over the world. You have people from Pakistan, India, Africa, the Caribbean. So I grew up in a real melting pot as far as um, the kinds of people that I was exposed to. And um, when I was really young, my parents just decided, you know, I had, my grandmother was living here in Florida. My parents were like, hey, let's move to America. So <laughs> us That's kids were like, change. yay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't know anything about America, only that Disney World was there. So sure. we were like, sounds like a plan. That's oh, a big deal to a kid, right? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, what else could we want, right? So we came here and I grew up in South Florida and again, a very diverse community, um, you know, very um, big Latino and very big um, Caribbean culture. So once again, growing up in a very diverse um, environment and um, I didn't want to necessarily work in education, I started out wanting to be a writer. So I went to University of Florida mm -hmm. and um, had a full scholarship and just uh, wow. pursued journalism. And I had been writing. I wrote for the Sun Sentinel for several years. I later, um, I, I did a little, dabbled a little bit in teaching K through 12 and then went on to become an editor for the Seminole Tribe newspaper, another very diverse community here in South Florida, I worked on the reservation cool. for about four years. And that was really fascinating as well to learn more about a culture that's pretty, another marginalized culture oh. that we don't really learn a lot about, but they've been able to really um, capitalize on some of the reparations and different things in terms of um, taxes and, and their, um, yes. their reservations where they've been able to actually mobilize themselves and really be very financially successful. So I've had a lot of different exposure to diverse communities and 
started thinking in terms of education, how could I really work with students to make a difference? You know, I went to UF on a full minority scholarship, so I felt as though I wanted to do something to pay back. So I started working in higher education at that point, worked in admissions and in different administrative roles for about seven to 10 years, and then started teaching. And I've been teaching in higher education at a, a multitude of different colleges, both online and face-to-face for just over 10 years, maybe about 12 years or so. So that's really been my journey. I, I just love the idea of helping someone to help themselves. And I think that's really, those of us that work in higher education, we're always thinking, how can we pay back? How can we pull somebody else up? I always look at that picture of you know the person <laughs> reaching down the mountain and that other person stretching their arm up. And that's yeah. what I think of my role in education. It's like, okay, I someone had to pull me up. Somebody had to give me an opportunity. I went to you know, University of Florida on a full scholarship, a minority scholarship. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to impact somebody's life? How can I make somebody's life better? And especially students of color, because they're more disadvantaged. That's always something I think about. I think about first generation students, first generation college students, of which I was one because my my parents didn't attend college. Mm -hmm. So there's always those marginalized communities. And I don't think, I think sometimes when we talk about equity, uh, sometimes there's a a, a misconception understanding of, well, you know, people shouldn't get what they don't deserve. And, and I think sometimes as a society, we have to understand that there are some communities and some marginalized communities where they don't have access or they, they don't even have knowledge of these types of, um, right. whether it's a minority scholarship or whether it's just even how to attend college. My, my mom didn't even know what FAFSA was. So when we think about how to pay back, it's not really about giving something they don't deserve, but more giving somebody an opportunity that they would never yeah. even have access to anyway exactly it's just communicating to them if they don't know it I mean it's surprising when you have just the knowledge that it's available how to go about finding it and doing it when you have that help well first of all I mean going back to what you said I just absolutely love that I love the concept just that vision in my mind I got a little teary-eyed when you were like I'm pulling somebody up I love that Um, and I can only imagine um, you know the person that might have helped you in your life um, to made you make you feel that strongly that you know hey I want to actually transform my whole life and do this for other people. Um, I'm of course envisioning all of these students that you're helping and is there, are there any, I'm just thinking of like, maybe there's a story in there of just someone who's, who you've helped and transformed their life and that just really sticks out to you that, that keeps you going. I'm, I'm maybe more than one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've talked to and communicated with and bonded with so many students, but one that sticks in my mind is when I was teaching an online class. And this student, literally, um, she was a single mom. She had young kids and we would just talk on the phone, you know, and it was, sometimes you get those students that are a little bit, they need a little bit more. And I think that kind of transcends um, and and connects with what we're talking about in terms of online learning and skills-based learning and upskilling. And there's a lot of talk about online learning and can you be connected and do students really get the same experience? What I found from my experience, and this this was a experience with this particular student was that the bonds that I've developed with my online students sometimes have been even stronger than the bonds that I have connected with my face-to-face students. I've taught face-to-face as well, community college and private colleges, and it's more of the students see you, there's a connection there, they're not necessarily as 
um, needy in terms of what they want from you and mm -hmm. your ability to give them extra help or tutor them or, or guide them. They're pretty self-sufficient. I find a lot of times with online students, especially right now, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone is feeling disconnected, you have an opportunity to really connect with students. And this particular student was before the pandemic, but I remember speaking with her several times and her feeling very distraught that she couldn't get the work in on time or she, her kids and babysitting issues and sure. a lot of responsibilities at work. And I remember just one night, it was like maybe 10 o'clock and she texted me like frantic about an assignment that she needed to get in. I said, you know what, call me. And my kids were running around <laughs> yeah. going all crazy everywhere. And I said, if you don't mind the kids in the background, call me and let's talk. Yeah. And I just kind of talked her off the ledge. Like, don't worry about it. You can do this. You can make it. And I just remember having those several of those talks with her and feeling like this could be me. You know, I, I when I went to grad school, I was a single mom. My daughter's 21. Yeah. So I remember having a lot of those same thoughts. Like, I can't do this. And this is too hard. And what was I thinking? She was a toddler when I went to grad school. Yeah. And sometimes the students, they, in this particular case, I just will never forget the student just feeling like, I just can't do it. And just hearing somebody say, you can do it and not having anyone in her corner to encourage her. Sometimes that's what students are looking for. Or I think sometimes as instructors, if we can just step out of our box of, I'm just here to give you information. I'm just here to content deliver or assess you and look at the, the role that we play in those students' lives. A lot of these students don't have confidence. They're first generation or True. they're coming from an environment where no one they know has even graduated from college. So sometimes just an encouraging word and telling the student, don't worry, I got your back. You can do this. That's all they need. And she went on to get a great grade. I think she got like either A or B. If she got a B, it must have been a B plus. Yeah, that's and, amazing. And she was talking to me. She said she was going to fail. And I'm like, you're not going to fail. And she didn't. But, you know, sometimes students need that extra encouragement. They and do. That's, uh, that's what we're here to provide as instructors. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I'm, I'm even loving that more and it obviously speaks to me. I have children, so I can totally understand how this woman must have felt this student in this time and this place where everything, it already feels like it's hard, right? And then, you know, adding in something else there. But again, that I think we all know and we all remember some point in our life having a teacher, like what you just described. It just goes that little teeny extra mile and how much of a difference that makes in our lives. And I, I just love to hear that you're doing that and that, you know, people have been obviously hopefully very successful with you being there and pulling them up. <laughs> That's what I want to do. So if you, I know when you told us a little bit about your story earlier, you mentioned that it's kind of been like topsy-turvy all over the place, which I love because I feel like that's real life. You know, it's never this like ideal, like we're going to climb this ladder or this mountain and it's like this way and it's only one way. It's all crazy different ways. Um, you know, because we're talking about skills today, I thought I'd bring it back to that for just a minute and ask, you know, along this crazy topsy-turvy journey of yours, did you feel like there were certain skills along the way? And this doesn't have to be like work-related skills. It could be life skills, um, however you might think about this. You know, skills that really kind of defined and brought you along and things that you're trying to then with these students, like you said, you know, help bring them up with too. Is that something ever, if you really thought about it, that has shaped you and help, is helping you shape other students? Yeah, I think as uh, I spend more time working in higher education. There's a lot of debate about soft skills versus hard skills and what students really need to know. And one thing 
I always try to impart and something I, I didn't really even know in the beginning of my college career is how important it is to be an efficient and effective communicator. And as I teach English composition, I always look at it in the respect of it's not about APA style. It's not about um, grammar. It's not about all the technical, the minutia I, I tell my students. Yeah. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, it's very English and a lot of topics are very detailed. Right. You know, when we think of it as if we're a subject matter expert, we know every intricate detail of our topic. And for students, you know, especially as we go into this new workplace where students have to really be able to, to pivot and be dynamic and be able to learn new skills yeah. quickly and technology. I think the biggest thing in terms of the skills that sets that I feel are important is students just ability to articulate their ideas. I think um, writing and speaking and being able to develop an idea and support that idea and help others understand your ideas is how that's really the currency in the workplace. If someone's not able to articulate what they're talking about, um, make sure people, whether it's your employees, whether it's your clients, whether it's your boss, you want people to understand what you're trying to communicate, make sure that there's support and evidence for what it is that you're trying to, whether it's a claim that you're making, whether it's an initiative, whether you're trying to sell somebody something. At some point, I don't even tell my students when I teach at a career college, nurses have to do that. They have to articulate to the patients, articulate to the doctors. If you're in um, the criminal justice field, Everywhere. you have to be able to articulate your, uh, I, there was a big thing about um, for-profit schools in University of Phoenix being one of them that had a big surge in criminal justice um, when they started recruiting students for some of these uh, majors. And a lot of these students didn't know how to write or didn't know how to articulate because they thought, well, criminal justice is just about you know enforcing right. the law. and. I think that's something we need to really impart to students, that even though you have to be proficient in your field, typically being able to articulate your ideas, um, be able to get buy-in from people, be able to uh, influence. just be an influence, absolutely, be a team player. Um, all these different soft skills that a lot of times we call them soft skills, but mm -hmm. really at the end of the day, that's what gets you hired. That's what gets you promoted. That's what gets people to like you. If you can be someone that people feel like, wow, this person is, you know, it has a vision and they can impart that vision and I can buy into what they're talking about. And that happens to your coworkers. That happens with your clients. That happens with your employees. If you're a leader, if you can't get people to buy into what it is your vision is and, and make sure that they understand that and you can articulate that, then really you're not going to be as successful as you want to be. Even if you know everything about your field and you're able right. to kind of spout the numbers or whatever that is that you're, that, that you're focused on, if you can't get other people to buy into that idea, then it's not going to yeah. be very effective in the workplace. So. I love that. And I almost would even add to say that like, not only the currency is that the currency of work, like that is really the currency of life, right? I mean, it is today. I think about every instance outside, like if I have to communicate to my family or my husband, um, as on this platform that we have of social media through, you know, us with our podcasts or through any of our other social media channels, like when we want to start talking about these things, we have to be able to really like you said, make them clear, make them understand, help people like influence them in, in a way that, and that's, that's a huge important skill through so many facets of life now. Yeah, a lot of it is vulnerability as well. 
being able to be truthful, being able to be transparent. I think some of that has come out in the recent Black Lives Matter and some of the, the racial tensions and unrest and people feeling frustrated. If you're able to be empathetic, if you're able to be transparent and truthful, sometimes as a leader, people want you to say, you know what, I messed up and I need to fix it. And I think that's been something that maybe has been lacking a little bit in maybe the past decade. It's always kind of been like, you know, put up a good front and you yeah. know, let everyone know that you're in charge. Like you want to make sure you know what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. But like you said, with my winding path, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, huh, that looks interesting. Let me try that or let me try this. And sometimes a leader, you have to do that. Right. You have to say, you know what, we're going to try this and let's see if it works. And if it doesn't, right. we'll reevaluate and try something different. I think sometimes there's a fear in corporate America and in higher education. Oh, of, people might so not know, think you know what you're doing. So you got to just stay the path, even if the path is wrong. And we see that that doesn't work because people are like, hey, you know, I see what you're doing. And, yeah. and, and it's not authentic and genuine when people see that. No. And I feel like these, again, it's like, not that these moments in time are, it's just cap catapulizing on what's happening. Right. But it's like these moments in time, you could do one of two things, right? You can run from this um, or you can run towards it and you can make changes and you can make adjustments and you can take risks um, and all of those things, you know, none of it's going to be perfect because we're not perfect just the way it is but like at least try at least listen right absolutely yeah absolutely. that's what it's all about never be afraid of making mistakes never be afraid of saying that you messed up never be afraid of saying you know what I, I didn't do things exactly the right way but let's come up together and let's find ways to fix it let's let's yeah. brainstorm there's so many different things that we can do as leaders as you know learners as mentors, just, just being open and flexible, I think is, is really important. So these are some of the things that students need to understand when we're thinking about skill sets and, and things that will make them successful. I think sometimes in higher education, we tend to focus on theory. We tend to focus on history. We, need to, we tend to focus on assessment and grades. And those are some of the things I think as I've worked in the field, it's been 20 years now, I feel as though I'm really coming away from that. I'm, I'm not as focused on the idea of assessing and grading and, and meeting a certain guideline or a certain barometer. I'm more thinking about the experience. And that's what life is. Like you said, that's what life is about. We don't necessarily have to go a particular path. It can be a little bit winding as still as long as we're learning and we're growing as we go. And I think that's what I tell my students in my class. Yeah. This is not about an A or a B. You're going to get a good grade as long as you try. And right. I usually tell them that off the bat. It's like, there's no reason for you to fail this class because that's not my goal. It's not yeah. for you to fail. My goal is for you to be, um, to, to enhance your experience and, and yeah. get something out of it that you can apply to your personal and your professional life. And if anything in my power, I want you to get an A, but an A really is just, it's really, it's, it's almost like not yeah. real. It's just a letter, right? It doesn't yeah. really do anything. It doesn't really represent anything. I think coming from the UK, um, that's another thing that's really informed my perspective because I never saw grades until I came to America. I came to America when I was 12 yeah. and I had never seen a grade because they don't give letter grades there. They basically give you like a, a report at the end of the year saying, okay. this is what you did well in, these are some things that you've been improving. I think sometimes here in the United States, we tend to forget that most, most of the developed and westernized world doesn't do things the way that we do things. So I, I think that being creative and thinking outside the box, whether it comes to online learning, whether it comes to reskilling, upskilling, finding ways to help students be successful in the workplace, we don't necessarily have to be inside this one right. 
guideline of this is how we do things and it's always been done that way. And I think with higher ed, COVID has made us see that and wake up to that, that yeah. things are not necessarily just black and white. There's so many different ways to deliver quality education to help students get to their goal. Most students right now are thinking in terms of return on investment. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to get yeah. into $20,000 worth of debt, which is another problem, of uh, the so, high yeah. tuition rates. But if I'm going to be in debt, I want to make sure that I'm getting something that is going to help me to be successful in the future. So right. that's really the end goal, not an end. The, right. the end goal is to help that student get skills that for me as a, write, a, a writing teacher composition, can I teach you how to write emails and do a proposal for your boss right. so that you won't look silly? <laughs> that's really the end of the day, not about APA and punctuation because we have... Right spell check for that. Like, <laughs> let's not worry about that as much. Let's focus on skills that will help you be successful in the future. And that's really what I think um, we're starting to see with COVID that we need to focus more, not on getting our SME, our subject matter expert high force huh. and make sure that students know every single detail about our subject. It's more about the student, what's going to be best for the student and make sure the student comes out of that experience, having grown and learned and being more proficient for their academic life and their personal life. It seems like to me what you're describing is really what we're all calling precision learning. You know, that concept that like it has to work for that person and every person is different. You know, it, our circumstances are all different. Um, we come to the table, there may be people that can spend $20,000 or more and, you know, do all of the beautiful things that education brings for them, but there's so many that don't have that opportunity. But we don't want to leave them out. You know, we want to bring, like you said, bring them up too. Like we, we, we have all these great ways. Like what are some of the things you're seeing from an education perspective? Cause I know even on your podcast, not only are you in it, you get to talk to people that are in it and doing amazing things all the time. Are there areas where you're like, wow, they've really gone outside of the box here um, to think of ways that we can, you know, help people outside of the mainstream. Um, and, and maybe areas where like, I'm sure you can highlight some, but then also maybe some where you're like, we should probably be focusing more on some of these other areas that we're not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, we get to talk to, from my own experience, for sure. And uh, we also get to talk to on our podcast, a lot of education, higher education leaders. I think one that springs to mind would be Scott Pulsifer. Yep. Um, the president of Western Governors University, the competency-based um, education model. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more as higher education moves forward past COVID, um, delves more into online learning, we'll have to really have a reckoning and reconcile this idea that a lot of students don't necessarily want to be in an environment where everything is so prescribed, like you said, prescriptive, but more suited to individual student needs and not that it's normally been something where everyone gets the same prescription. We exactly. all know that would not work in any other environment. You know, if you go to the doctor, they don't just write a standard prescription and just hand it to you and you walk out the door. It's very individualized and the doctor is talking to you and they're looking at your background and your medical history and everything else. And I think higher education exactly. is a little bit, a little bit slower to want to just say, you know what, there's not a one size fits all model in terms of every subject that we deliver and do we even need general education if we need general education how is that incorporated into the overall curriculum so i think that would be one of the models that definitely springs to mind just uh in terms of thinking outside the box and and wanting to focus on the student experience and making sure 
uh, we also had um, John Clark from Gallup and a lot, they do a lot of polling of students. They do a lot of uh, polling of the general public. But one of the things he was, uh, he wrote an article, a really great article a few months ago about the faculty student relationship and mm -hmm. how that informs students' ability to be successful. And I think it goes back to what we talked about before. Yeah. Sometimes a student, I had it myself, needs that direct connection and some students more than others. And I think it was like 70 something percent in the Gallup poll that John Clark talked about on the podcast with us, that that was the, the likelihood of those students being successful if they had a strong faculty mentor. So I think it talks to, it speaks to the model that is there at WGU with Scott Pulsifer that he talked about on the yeah. podcast. Um, we also had Dr. Greg Fowler from um, yeah. Southern New Hampshire University on the podcast actually a, a couple of weeks ago. And similar um, philosophy in terms of making sure that faculty are really in tune with the students and faculty are delivering product, delivering education that is more informed by the practitioners in the field. Mm -hmm. So all of it really, I think, boils down to relevancy for the student. I think that's really the key takeaway from what I've seen in the direction that higher education needs to go into. And I mean, this is really what your podcast is all about when you're talking about, let's talk about skills, baby. It's just what skills does the student need? We all grew up, I think most of us in more of a traditional, hey, you have to take a certain amount of general education and there's a certain amount of core classes that you need and there's some yeah. intro before you take the core classes and a lot of those classes you're like <laughs> what am I doing here why am I here and a lot of the time even Scott talked about on the uh, podcast you kind of you, you start to do your own competency-based learning because you sleep in you're like you know what right. I don't need this I could just kind of study the notes and so he was like you were doing competency-based learning you were taking a class in four weeks because that was the That's only amount so of time funny. you really dedicated because you were and I was like <laughs> I totally did that. I slept into the dorm and I just showed up for the test because that's all I needed. So why are we doing that? You know, why are we putting yeah. the student through a 16 week class when maybe the students only need four weeks to take a bio class and then they can go on to the things that they really need to focus on in order to be proficient right. and to be successful in their core class, in their major and in their actual um, study that they're going to pursue it in their professional life. So that's some of the things that I think we're leaning toward. COVID has really made us take a long, hard look in the mirror. Like, okay, we need to really think about what we're doing because students are considering and, and the parents are getting involved. Because as a parent oh, yeah. myself, my daughter's 21. She's a sophomore in college. And you start to think about that. Like if you're doing online learning, if you're going to campus, everything has to count. Oh yeah. Because you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So a lot of these students are, are not really willing to just I went to University of Florida and I walked the quad and I, right. you know, laid on the grass and took naps and did, <laughs> did the five-year plan because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Students are not trying to do that right now. Students are like, you know, oh. I got to hurry up and just try to see if I can get through so I can get a job out here and pay off these student loans. So it's oh, just yeah. a whole different mentality, I think. And we need to adjust. I think higher ed for a hundred years uh, or more has right. been delivering going to a classroom it's the same way that it was <laughs> three four generations ago i know we're and like maybe it's time to switch it up amazing it's time to switch it up you know <laughs> when you think about netflix disruptors in exactly. any marketplace we all grew up with blockbuster 
you know, we all grew up with yellow cab. Now we get yeah. on. A, who would have ever thought? Your mom always told you don't get into cars with strangers, right? right? And now I we're know. getting on our <laughs> we're getting on our apps. We're not calling yellow cab. I mean, cab. I share like, my ride Uber. with a trusted friend. <laughs> have you ever done that? Your elbow to elbow, because like I really want to save that five bucks. <laughs> elbow to elbow with strangers. Everything is changing. Everything is revolutionizing. Yeah. Education needs to do the same thing, yeah. or we're going to stop. People are starting to kind of call like BS. They like, are. Hey, wait they a second. Are. What's going on here, you guys? So we have to really get wise to this idea that we're uh, we're an industry. We're just like any other business, and we have to operate that way. We don't like to be called a business, but I know. That's I know. Really, what it boils down to. No, it's so true. And the interesting thing too is like, we're, obviously we're seeing these changes that are happening again. You and I both know they've been going on for a while, for sure. Um, we all need to get our bums in gear, if you will, you know, because of this, what's sure. happening. But then like, as you're realizing, and as you're describing, you know, this relationship with these faculty members, I'm also thinking through like, what other really, you know, what are some other, like, I know we call them like wraparound services, tap typically, you know, but it seems to me like there are probably a whole slew of other things that we need to start considering um, as we're bringing students through whatever it is that their experience is going to be, right? Like we, there are going to be people that have more mental health issues. There's all sorts of things. Um, I wonder if you hear anything, I know it's probably more education related, but I'm curious if you hear anything about, you know, how we're sort of addressing all of these other needs, again, that have been there. Um, we're just more aware of them right now. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the mental health aspect. A lot of schools, from what I've been seeing, are thinking about how they can support their students in this time. It's very stressful. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of anxiety surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. We have students, typically students that are at career colleges or community colleges that may be essential workers. Mm -hmm. So they're really tackling a lot of really serious issues in terms of their own health, the health of their families. They may be um, having to attend to family members that maybe are sick. So mental health is definitely, I think, at the top of the list in, in terms of student support. Yeah. I think for a long time in this country or just in society, mental health has had somewhat of a stigma. So as higher education, it's really our job to be there. And I think there's a coming away from the idea that we're just there to deliver education and then we keep coming back to that same concept but I think there's been especially as tuition dollars have been uh, tuition uh, has been going up in terms of the, the cost to the student a lot of those student support areas actually are there's less in investment in those exactly. which is kind of counterintuitive right so we have to focus on mental health we have to focus on academic support. We have to focus on mentoring and tutoring. I think the mentoring aspect for myself growing up, I grew up in the center of Fort Lauderdale in a very urban area. My high school was like 99% black. So I needed the support of strong mentors. Yeah. I needed the support of the same thing that like I told you with that, that student of someone just saying, you can do it. And I think we sometimes undervalue those support mechanisms um, graduation rates, especially amongst students of color, whether black, Latino, are usually lower than the uh, the mainstream in terms of this, the students. So we need to focus on how we can increase graduation rates, what we can yeah. do to support students so that not only do we enroll students, we also graduate them. And I understand that not all students are the same. Like you said, there's not a one-size-fits-all. There's not 
um, every student is has the exact same set of challenges. And I think sometimes in education, we try to bring that same model that we see in society. Everyone's the same. I don't see color. And, you know, everyone has the same opportunity, but that's simply not true. And we have to wake up and really understand that we have to be more inclusive and ensure that every student has same opportunity to graduate. And it makes me think about that meme I see it on social media where we think about the people peeking over to see the baseball game and we're thinking about equality and making sure that if the, the one child is shorter, right. they need you. a higher box. Exactly. Just, we know that rationally that if the other one child is shorter, we're not gonna say, well, hey, just tiptoe Sorry about that. That's yeah. not what you tell someone. <laughs> no. You, you give them the opportunity, you give them a leg up so that they can be on par with the taller kid that can already see. And I think sometimes we try to overlook that and say, well, they're all tall. Clearly they're not because he's little and he can't see over the fence. So let's give them those um, additional support systems. Like you talked about the wraparound support yeah. and make sure that the students are fully able to get their education, but also graduate. That's really key. I think it, as we move forward. So true. Do you have any recommendations for schools on sort of how to hear the voices of people that may you know, need that extra leg up. Um, because it's, to me, it's like, that is the most frustrating of all of this is that I think, you know, this, to me, this has always been here. So I don't see why it's all of a sudden like, wow, um, we need to get, figure this out. It's like, but no, you need to listen to what these people are saying so that you can, you know, do the right things, put together the right resources, like really meet their needs. Because if you don't understand, then how will you do it? Yeah. So do you have I any recommendations it, for schools for, you know, how they might listen more? It reminds me of kind of like when you're talking to your spouse or something and they're like, is something wrong? And you're kind of like, you know, <laughs> and you don't really want to know the answer. And I think that's what happens, I think, in higher ed. It's almost like where we don't really want to know the answer. We're kind of like, oh, maybe something's wrong. But do you really want to know? And I think that's really what it boils down to. A lot of times students don't feel heard and it's almost like we know something's wrong, but we don't really want, because we know if we actually ask them, it's going to be like, oh, and they're really going to say what they feel. And I think that's the problem or that's really the challenge is that students don't feel heard. A lot of marginalized communities don't feel heard. Um, we had a really cool guest on the podcast, maybe a month or two or a month and a half ago, um, Leslie Villar. She's Dean of Student Affairs with Averett College, and she talked about just how she does like weekly Zoom calls. And I was, everyone on campus has her cell phone number. This wow. is like what you talk about in terms of transparency. And I think yeah. not everyone's ready for that. Not every, I give my students my cell phone <laughs> number too, because I'm like, oh, you know what? I can text them back. I'm on social media, on yeah. IG. What do I care if I text them back at 10 o'clock at night? If I'm awake, sometimes they'll text me, are you awake? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I think it's just a matter of bringing ourselves down to the student's level, whether it's Zoom, giving them the ability to have Zoom, weekly Zoom sessions, whether it's being available on, on uh, text or social media, or giving students an opportunity, whether it's town halls, whether it's yeah. um, question and answer sessions, make students understand that they're heard. And I think that's part of what frustrates students, even in regular circumstances when we're not having pandemic and racial unrest and so many things that makes people feel all this stress and, and people feel overwhelmed, just giving students forums and yeah. making sure that you're, you're not just giving lip service. Oh, we care about what you think. If you care, then you would give open forums for right. students to be able to 
express themselves. When Leslie uh, Villarose, Dean Villarose, told us she has these weekly Zoom sessions, I was like, that was wow. so revolutionary. Yeah. Like, it's just event, it's event session. They get on the Zoom and they can ask me anything. And I will answer whatever questions, concerns, um, complaints, whatever they have. And it's sad to say, but that's revolutionary. Because a lot of times you don't hear of schools saying that. They say, we care about you. We want to know what you think. But then they're not giving the students a vehicle to be able to right. give those or suggestions. Or like the, safe, the just, safe place without judgment. You know, that's the other thing too, is like, it can't exactly. just be like, okay, we've opened up a town hall, but you know, now you're shamed into. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's, I think, what happens. And then that's what she talked about. She talked about it being a safe space where students were able to say anything and it wasn't to be talked over. It wasn't for them to say, oh, that's not true. And I think that's sometimes what frustrates people that are in a, a, a marginalized situation or if they're in a group of, of um, those that don't feel like they're being heard, you get an opportunity to say what you have to say. And then the person that's holding the forum is waiting to jump on you and tell you right. that it's not valid. Right. And that I think is another frustration. Like you said, we have to give them not only students um, a safe place to be able to express themselves, but also give them the opportunity to, for us to listen. Yeah. I know with my school, with City College, we have surveys and we really read and comb through those surveys. We give students an opportunity to have like, just be able to just say whatever they want to say about, well, wow. I think the last question on the survey for our online program is, what are some things, suggestions that you have for us yeah. that we could do to make this better? And I as an instructional designer for the online program, I look through those and I use them and implement a lot of the suggestions that we get when students That's like, well, great. this needs to be improved. It's, it, you don't want to be defensive because the students right. are the ones having the experience. So whatever suggestions they give you, take them. And, right. and, and the students a lot of times will say, wow, that's really good that you implemented so-and-so. We've been saying that for right. a little while and now you guys have rolled it out. And sometimes it will take a little while because it's just the technical aspects of trying sure. to deliver whatever the student wants. But listen to what they say. Don't judge. Like you said, give them a safe space and then implement. Don't just listen and say, wow, that was interesting. And then go back to business as usual. Right. Actually take the, what their suggestions that they're making and find actionable ways to change. Because that, mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about. And take their idea. Like their ideas, honestly, I think it most people don't realize like you're sitting on a hotbed of innovation, you know, in uh, these yes. education environments. These are people that have they don't, they don't have necessarily, I mean, gosh, we don't hope so. They're hopefully a little bit more young and innocent than we are in life, but that might not always be the case. But whatever it is that they've experienced in life, they bring that to the table. And that might be a completely new way to think about something that, you know, these folks hadn't thought about. So it's like, just listen. Now, I know we talked about, like, I felt like we could end on this, if you don't mind, Elizabeth, because we talked early about you, this power of communication and learning this. And I thought, you know, is there, are there also maybe any tips that you could offer to students that want to have their voice heard? Because this is something that you're teaching them. Like, how do you communicate what it is? Um, maybe there's some tips in this process too, where it, whether they be students or someone looking for, for work or whomever, like what are some great ways, very simple ways maybe that they can also make sure that they're communicating their needs um, clearly as can be, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, for myself, and I'm always thinking about my own personal growth. And as I've told you, my journey has been very winding and I've struggled with imposter syndrome. You know, I've struggled with this idea of, is my voice being heard? 
And is what I have to say valuable? Is it relevant? Do people appreciate my contributions? And one thing I found myself doing at the beginning of this year was really being more active on social media. There's a phenomenon called Black Twitter, where you've had a lot of people on Twitter that started the Black Lives Matter movement and have been able to, the Me Too movement, the, the hashtag Me Too, the hashtag Oscar So White, all these different hashtags that have really shined a light on some of these different communities that have felt like their voice isn't being heard. And I really encourage um, students and even professionals to not look at social media as just something that's frivolous or something that is just used to just you know, look and see what people's sure, posting scroll. of their cat, whatever, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But think of it as a, an opportunity. And I think we've seen that with the George Floyd, with that video coming out, people in mass came onto social media and that uproar led to protests in the streets, led to um, the, the, the officer being arrested. So social media is something that can be mobilized. And I've been encouraging my students to have a voice, whether it's on Twitter, whether you're using Instagram as a forum, blog, um, LinkedIn is another great place where, you know, you're able to connect with professionals, reach out to people. And I think for myself, I've reached out and we, we connected on LinkedIn, reach out to people that you're interested in their ideas, reach out to people that maybe are professionals in your field, whether you're a student or whether you yourself are a professional. I've, I've connected with so many professionals on LinkedIn and written on LinkedIn and posted and, and done articles. So I think for students as well as professionals, it's important to use your voice and use it in a way that helps you to connect with other people that can help you in your journey. Give and then you can receive and have those connections that will help you to realize that your voice is valuable. Your contribution is amazing. You do have so much potential you can bring so much to the world all it takes is one voice so that's really the advice that I would give don't be afraid and just start reaching out connecting and posting your thought even if it's a one-liner on Twitter that might be something that can change the world we saw that with hashtag black lives matter that created a whole movement a, a new generation of civil rights movement so don't ever feel like your voice is not valuable because it really is that is some fantastic advice so before we end up today, um, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience that we haven't? I know we've, we've, we've hit a lot of stuff today, but. <laughs> I, I think my biggest takeaway is um, in terms of everything that's been going on with COVID-19, with the, the protests in uh, with the George Floyd case and, and recent cases of um, violence and police brutality, I think my biggest takeaway would be always be listening, always be learning, always be thinking, and don't be afraid to ask questions. I think one of the things that we have explored on the podcast with um, the education aspect of it is sometimes us in higher education, we're, we're very educated in terms of book smarts, mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily have the, the context and experience in uh, whether it's a marginalized community, sure. whether it's police brutality, whether it's um, women and the struggle for women to have equality. There's so many different areas in our society um, whether it's higher education and first-generation students, maybe that's not your experience. So I think the idea of always learning, listening, being open, also don't have cognitive dissonance. Don't think, well, this is what worked for me, so that works for everyone. And, and you yeah. know, it's kind of like when you were raised 
certain way and you don't want to question the way that your parents raised you because you feel like that's kind of like putting them down. Right. That's not necessarily true. And I think in higher education, we tend to feel like, well, I was taught with sage on the stage. So sage on the stage is what's the, the best way, way to do be. it. Yeah. That's not necessarily true. So I think the fact is with higher education, we have to be willing to learn. And as people in general, we yeah. all have to be willing to learn. And you can't learn if you're talking. You have to listen. You have to have your mind open to the idea that there are different and better ways sometimes of doing things. So I think that would be like my, the, the biggest takeaway that I've learned over the past few months is to really open up myself to the idea that things can be different and I can be a part of that as long as I'm open to change. And that's what I would encourage everybody to do. That is a great um, last parting thought here. So everyone, please remember to listen um, and be empathetic. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, this was a, such a thank fantastic you. episode. Um, for those of you guys that would like to keep in touch with Elizabeth, excuse me, um, she is available uh, through social media on the podcast platform, Ed Up Experience on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can also make sure for sure that you subscribe to her podcast because it's really fantastic. Again, the Ed Up, E-D-U-P experience, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. So, um, and thank you all for listening in today to this episode of Let's Talk About Skills, Baby. If you enjoyed this podcast, please um, subscribe, share, like, comment, offer ratings, reviews. I'd love to hear any of your feedback. Uh, or suggestions. And if you'd like to follow me, I am available on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook at Kelly R. Bailey. Well, um, thank you all again, and I hope you have a wonderful day.